Welcome back, folks, to the next edition of Black Hoodie Alchemy. I am Anthony Tyler, and um, for everyone listening as this releases, you know, happy holiday season to you. If you're listening in America, happy Thanksgiving season to you in specific. Um, I'm sitting here with the homie Martin Ferretti of the Alchemical Mind podcast and many other things, uh, but he's still got, he hasn't released an episode over there. Uh, too much this year, but there's a whole lot in the back catalog. So Martin's a wealth of info. Um, Thanks, man. Yeah, I, thank you uh, for for all the stuff you've done. You know, especially Martin editing my book Hunt Manual. Um, very appreciative of that as well. And before we get into this, we're going to talk about uh, Carl Jung and his red and black books. Um, especially, you know, I, I you know we'll get into plenty of both, but I'm particularly interested in the black books because I haven't had the chance to read those yet. They're still pretty new. They're still pretty scholastic. So unless you know, if anyone listening out there has their own PDF copy, they want to share with me, please do. (laughs) Um, uh, But like, as far as I know, even the digital copies are pretty locked down just because it's so new. So, and Martin has poured through the black books. Um, So we're going to get into that. I'm really excited for just a, an alchemical chat that's just steeped in esotericism. Um, Mm -hmm. But real quick, uh, I thought I'd give a quick shout out to our mutual acquaintance, RN Voot. He came out with his latest book, Searching for Osiris. I haven't read it yet. Um, He will. Yeah, I haven't either. Yeah, we'll definitely get him on the podcast at some point. He's a fun guy. I've read some of his other work um, and some of that work has been recommended by Graham Hancock. So there's a name that you could put in your pipe. <laughs> um, um, you know, and I was thinking about it recently. I remember at the beginning of the series, I was talking about live shows eventually. So I figured I'd update anyone that had that stuck in their craw. Uh, I'm just um, uh, supplanting my roots a bit. We'll get to live shows at some point, but right now we're just um, we're having fun with it and seeing where it goes. And there's going to be probably some Patreon stuff at some point, but you know, for now, just divemind.net. If you like the show, feel free to uh, rate and review it. And that does help a little bit. And I mean, that's pretty much it. We'll have uh, got a lot more guests coming up. People, some people that we've seen, some people we haven't heard from before. And um, we'll eventually get some ladies on here too. There are some ladies that would be happy to be on the show. Um, it's just, it's kind of been... First come, first serve in a way. And I wanted to get all the homies on first, all of my <laughs> most my most well-researched and uh, homies that I love to talk with the most. And Martin is definitely up there. So without further ado, uh, let's get into it. Martin, how you been lately, man? I'm good, man. I just ordered uh, I just ordered the book, Searching for Osiris, oh, as dope. you were doing right. your intro. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. yeah, I love Aaron Voot. He's, uh, he's an awesome dude, so got to support him. Absolutely. Um and so in terms of Carl Jung, uh, enigmatic to say the least, and um, we're definitely going to, I can already assure everyone, we're going to go over the hour slot at the Fringe FM. This is going to be a lengthier chat. Um, and where should we begin, Martin? Because um, I know enough to be able to have this conversation with you, but I, <laughs> I would wager that you know more than me, especially without a doubt about the black books. So, I mean, this is really, this is a, it's autobiographical, but it's not a day to day 
walkthrough of Jung's experiences. It's autobiographical of the visionary states and the existential crises that he went through and the the dreams and the um I guess just as the easiest umbrella term, the visionary states and everything he did, he practiced automatic writing. He delved into the synchronicities that he experienced in his life. He did meditations and things like that. And he had this, um, uh, this sort of dive into his psyche. And in many cases, it was a wrestling with his psyche. And he came to know aspects of his psyche um, that probably we're certainly autonomous um, just like aspects of all of our psyches and, you know, Jung's uh, search and his own investigations really bring us to like the thresholds of, I don't know, just existentialism as we know it. He really took it to the outer limits. Yeah, for sure. So uh, yeah, the black books are are amazing. If you've never had a chance to read them, highly recommend it. Um, You can get, you can find PDFs. Um, I would recommend finding physical copies of the books. Um, it's like a seven book volume. Uh, the first six are kind of all the same size. The seven one is bigger because he wrote in a bigger book and these are like facsimile editions, right? So they're um, not reproduction. Well, I, I guess they're reproductions. They're like photocopied versions of the journals, right? Right. Um, so if you get the, that particular edition you get like his writing like in his handwriting right with all his uh little sketches and, and paintings in there um you get it in the in the german and then uh, wow. afterwards you have uh the the english translation um so there's there's seven volumes altogether. real quick uh, that's good to clarify yeah. that there are pdfs out there i will admit now that i think about it it's been a minute since i actually did some digging but i know that i looked within a few months of it coming out. And I don't know if you know the right places, you could probably find anything, but I could not find that thing. So I'm going to have to uh, get back on that search and uh, really tear into it. Yeah. It's, it's hard. It's hard to like find a, a good PDF of it. Um, I, again, I do recommend the actual book, right? Especially if you're interested in young. Yeah. Um, have you read the, the red book? Yes. Okay. So, I mean, if you read the red book, you kind of have a, a basic gist of what goes on in the black book. Uh, the red book is kind of like the the final draft of the first two ish books in the red in the black book, um, maybe into the third. So you you get some idea. Um, things do get a little bit crazier as you get on, um, particularly like books five and seven. You have a lot of stuff about talking to dead people and why uh, the prayer to the dead. You have this whole thing with uh, kind of young becoming a, a Jesus figure, a Christ figure in book seven. So there's there's a lot going on in there uh, that you don't get in the red book. And that's why it was so hard to find, I mean, impossible to find for decades, right? Because the family didn't want the book getting out uh, because they thought that Jung had lost it in, in a way he did. And that's kind of the mm-hmm. point of, of the black books and the red book is that you kind of have to lose yourself in yourself uh, in order to find your true self. And, uh, but the, the physical copies are just, they're beautiful. They're like, you know, black leather bound. They come in a slip case. Um, you can get them on Amazon, you know, Christmas is coming up. Uh-huh. You got to celebrate the, uh, the ho, ho, ho. So, uh, you can get them on there. It's like a couple hundred bucks, so it's not cheap. Um, but again, if, if young is your jam, then, uh, it's, it's well worth it, I would say. And, and yeah, it's really interesting, man. Um, I think the the whole story of it, not just 
the you know 18 or 20 years he spent writing into the in these journals um but like the story of how it all came about uh is pretty interesting to contextualize uh briefly um i i went back and looked it up last night and to refresh my memory the red books were not released by jung's family until 2000 or the red book and um the black books not released until 2020 so yeah uh, they definitely held on to this for quite a while um and i think it was jung's wishes that they held on to it um until after he died uh, and if as i understand it i could be wrong but he um w- had full intention of releasing the red book eventually and i don't think that there was ever specific intention by Jung himself to release the black books. Uh, do you know if that's correct? Uh, I believe that is correct. Yes. So, and, and also a fun parallel um, before I forget, I mentioned this and I believe it was episode four. It was Alch- alchemy as adaptation. Um, uh, Dr. Seuss has those midnight paintings and it, it I really like the parallels. Um, Seuss being such a visual symbolic artist Um if anyone's, if you haven't heard of those and um, poured through those paintings, it was just, it was the paintings often that he made at sort of the witching hour and the paintings that he never showed anyone or didn't release to the public until he died. And it was a similar sort of estate thing to Jung. And you can really see it's pretty dark and psychedelic and oftentimes horrifying. It's a very different Dr. Seuss. And um, I think it shows that... Um, not only is it something that should be done, but it's something that is so often done, whether it's um, it's uh, shown like, whether yeah, think, it's I, publicly or not, you know? I think what's interesting is kind of the process, right? And uh, ultimately, that's kind of what, what Jung deals with in, in the Black Books and the Red Books and, and his later work. Uh, you know, I mean, you know, Jung gets some crazy stuff, right? Like he wrote a UFO book, right? Mm-hmm. So um, he his thinking on this is that all this stuff kind of resides elsewhere, right? And your connection through that is, is the subconscious. And, you know, it, it's interesting you mentioning Dr. Zeus. I was thinking of like Tolkien, for example, mm. um, because there's, there's a lot of similarities, I think, between the three and, and the writing process, where a lot of times when you have a, we'll say fiction in quotes, uh, writer, um, they go through this process where, you know, they have an idea and they they sketch it out, they outline, they do a draft, they do a second draft, they peer review, there's an editor, all this stuff, um, and until you get to a final product. Whereas with with Jung and, you know, Tolkien, for example, pretty much set it out right, where um, it wasn't like he was writing a story about elves and um, and hobbits and that but that he was kind of transplanted into this other world, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that, that was just as real as the world that you and I are living in. Um, now, obviously, you know, you might know my position on that, right? How, how real is the world that we're living in? Probably not very much. <laughs> right. But, um, I, I think these guys really said it in their, through their, through their, through their works, right? Um, because they really did tap into something completely different and, and, the the methodology that Jung uses is uh, is very alchemical. Um, so we can definitely draw some comparisons uh, between what you see in the Red Book and, and guys like Paracelsus, for example, um, just veiled in a in a newer, more modern language, I guess. And and I think that's true, really, of 
<clears throat> of a lot of mythology. Um, not all of it, but but a lot of mythology, because there are these like archetypes that live in it, you know, and, and you and I always talk about this archetype stuff. Um, I think that's that's particularly true of a book like this. Yeah, um, and I don't know if I've really ever heard anyone else say this, but I feel like it's just glaringly true. I feel Jung was very proto chaos magical. You know, it seems mm. in many ways, um, granted, uh, Jung was much more traditional, but he approached things in unorthodox ways. And you know, there's not a terrible amount of difference between, at least in my mind, between what people like Grant Morrison and um, and even Alan Moore uh, did with their their chaos magic work through comic books um, and there's there's some sort of I don't know maybe I'm stabbing in the dark here but there's something intensely meta about the idea of using art to become more self-aware through your art and it's the the facets of that start to get a little mind bending if you take chaos magic into account and I don't know we don't really I don't really know how far that goes but that seemed to be the same kind of process that of that self-awareness through your art and in a way how self-aware does your art then become, I guess? Yeah, yeah. No, that's actually really interesting you bring that up because Jung really wrestled a lot with this in uh, in book one where he he's kind of in this weird existential place, uh, doesn't know what he's going to do with himself. And because of the experiences that he starts to have as a result of his work, he he can't figure out whether he's a scientist or an artist or if there's something else going on um and and you know that's something that he wrestles with through throughout his career i would say um yeah and and it's really interesting to see that because you know guys like morrison uh as we've talked about they they don't really see that distinction um they've kind of embraced it um, but of course, you know, they have decades of, uh, you know, psychology behind them, right? Uh, between mm -hmm. young and, and other guys, um, where they can kind of draw upon some of that stuff. Whereas young doesn't really have that, right? Um, that's why the work is kind of seminal in that, yes, there's similarities to previous things. Um, but he approaches it in a different way, right? Um, it's like this whole cyclical, mythology that uh, a lot of people discuss where you know the for example the the archetype of of the christ um is not a new archetype right it kind of gets told and retold as society and, and culture progresses and and it's the same with any of these ideas right um you know the the act of of active imagination that that young used to create all this work um, is not necessarily new to Jung. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sure you have a lot of Buddhists in the audience and, uh, you know, some consider Buddha like the father of psychology, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas we're talking, you know, thousands of years in the past. Um, but a lot of the ideas remain the same throughout, you know, the Middle Ages when you start seeing a lot of the, the alchemical works being coming around. Um, post-enlightenment, some of that stuff uh, has a resurgence, and then obviously in, into the 20th century. Um, and it's it's kind of one of these things where you have to have 
almost the the right set of circumstances in order for uh, this kind of stuff to happen, right? So, excuse me, I'm trying to still getting over this little cold thing that it had, flu, whatever. Yeah, it was rough. Um, I had the same thing. It was terrible. Yeah, it was pretty <laughs> rough. So, so you know, when when Young started doing his his exercises, we'll say, um, was 1912, early 19 teens, right? So this was pretty much soon after he got into this huge fight with Freud. Um, that whole thing is quite interesting. Um, and, and I think rather telling of the, the ways that psychology evolved um, mm-hmm. in two divergent paths, you know, one following Freud and one following Jung. And, uh, you know, just general like world garbage going on, right? So you're, you're talking about the the start of world war one uh which you know coincidentally also expired guys like like tolkien to write his books right mm-hmm. um a lot of that is based on him being in the trenches during the war and and seeing some of the horrors of of this new form of conflict that humanity had never seen before right like we've always had wars uh, but not to the extent of what we saw in world war one with uh you know chemical weapons and things like that uh, being created uh, a lot of the stuff that we consider like modern military technology emerged first during World War One, um, and you know back then it was probably even worse because there weren't some of the uh, international laws and treaties uh, that uh, prevented people from doing some of the things that they did during that era. Um, and so you know Jung is seeing this kind of thing where his friend basically just ousts him, right, um, and then used the uh, the classic. Uh, the classic phrase of, well, it's because he's a Jew. Um, so that kind of hurt Jung quite a bit. Uh, you know, he's seeing all this this turmoil across the world uh, and, and he feels like humanity is better than the situation that it's in. And he wants to find out um, why we're in this situation, but also how he can help make the situation better. Uh, so a lot of of the work from the black books is really trying to do kind of this like personal individuation work. Um, I know you just had uh, Miguel and Vance on, and uh, I, I love those guys. I, I love that you had him on because uh, I've been listening to them for you know ten plus years probably. Yeah, and yeah, uh, those guys are great. Shout out. Yeah, to yeah, shout out. But yeah, Vance was talking a lot about individuation, and that's that's one of the key uh, pieces of work from Young. Uh, so you have this this personal work, and then you have this like collective methodology for like bettering the race, right? And and race, I mean like the human race, all of humanity, mm-hmm. um, and and how we can do that. And and one of the things he comes up with, I don't know, maybe because of this whole thing with war, um, but there's some other maybe darker tones to this, um, is is kind of humanity's uh loss of um self of uh being in touch with itself uh as as a collective of uh kind of throwing aside ritual and and reverence for elders and for uh people that had come before um and again like you know the deeper you go into the books that the more you see this so i'm pretty sure it's book five that's basically mostly devoted to him like conjuring dead spirits right 
and and coming up with this incantation to uh kind of appeal to the dead uh so that they, he, he becomes basically like the their personal jesus right is uh, that he is that the seven sermons of the dead is that where that's so from? so it's not the seven sermons it's the prayers of the dead okay. um but but a lot of that work yes is turns out in the seven sermons okay uh, which the seven sermons is amazing right yeah um just the the way that it's written just seems like one of these like old-timey like you know new testament things that you read i guess <laughs> yeah um it's 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 quite spot on and, and you actually see that quite a bit in in you know both the black books and the red book um where young kind of imitates a lot of of the way that things are told in the bible um because he's trying to not quite like create a new religion but kind of get in touch with the core of what made Christianity, Christianity, if right. that makes sense. Um, and that's, I think, one of the reasons why Gnostics really, like modern Gnostics, really love Jung in that he can kind of dissect uh, what's wrong with uh, whatever Christianity has evolved into and, versus the, the things that are actually found, uh, you know, within scripture. Um, both canonical and, and non-canonical, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I, I think that whole thing is is rather interesting. And and some of it is like super obvious. So, um, you know, if you read the uh, the, the prayer, um, there's sections on there, like he, he basically invites the dead to like listen to him and like eat of his body and drink his blood, right? So that's obviously like a very Christian metaphor. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, it, it, it's a lot more than that, right? So if you, if you tell a Christian like, oh yeah, you know, eat of my body or whatever, whatever the saying is, eat of my flesh, drink of my blood, um, to, to most Christians that might not mean anything, right? It's like, oh yeah, it's like, it's Jesus time, right? I'm going to go get my wafer. So I'm going to eat the, the flesh and drink of the blood, right? The, the bread and the wine, mm -hmm. um, which, you know, the, the whole thing in itself is like this, giant alchemical ceremony uh, that no one pays any mind to, right? And this is kind of the point that Jung is trying to make um, in, in inviting the dead and in speaking with, um, you know, Philemon and various deities throughout the text when Salome shows up. Um, it, it's not kind of to, to he, he's not actually like speaking to these entities as if they were real entities that came back. Um, but they kind of encompass these like archetypes that we're all very familiar with, right? Mm -hmm. um, and and so what he wants to do is kind of get back to basics. Like, what does this mean? And how do I get the meaning to make sense? Um, and so that goes back to this active imagination thing. Uh, you know, a, a lot of people confuse some of the stuff that Jung was doing. Um, you know, you mentioned like automatic writing, like, yes, all this, kind of is happening um but you know he does have like his wife helping him write stuff down right he's got an assistant that writes stuff down and he's not like completely unconscious right it's not like he he dropped 10 grams of mushrooms and like somebody's videotaping him and and you know taking notes on everything he's mumbling um he's like he's very aware of the experiences that he's going through um but at the same time not controlling the experience right so this is why it's called 
active imagination. Um, it's not like, um, what's the, I should know this because I, I do this all the time. Uh, it's like, like hypnagogia, right? Where you get to a state in between wakefulness and sleep. Um, he, he does experiment with hypnagogia quite a bit, but yeah. active, active imagination is, is a little bit more because with hypnagogia, um, like you do have this like control of the dream because you're not fully asleep, right? So you, you have that control and you can create the world. Um, but active imagination is more like um, letting go of that control. It's like being fully asleep, but not asleep, right? So he's not controlling the things that he sees. He just lets things come and he just experiences those things as if they were actually occurring to him. Yeah, which is essentially the the state the the mystical trance state in general um correct yeah and that's i've gone through my process on the podcast as well as um in my books but that is essentially what i do joe roop would call that transcendental magic you know there's different ways that you could explain it um mysticism is usually the best way uh the quickest way i explain it but just the the simple act of um of using using um psychological spiritual primers to get into that that trance state where you're able to because obviously i think it goes without saying especially by now um on episode 27 or so um, (laughs) there's 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 nothing physically manifesting in front of you these are trance states and you are allowing you're sort of working your way up to because you can't just dive right in you have to work your way up to the workbench of your psyche and then you sort of once you get into that that trance state you use the primers to get you to the place you want and then you just let it go and you watch how it unfolds exactly yeah exactly yeah so you're you're actively participating in the dream but it's so weird to explain right because we don't have the words and I, i was thinking about this um, you know, when you told me you wanted to have this discussion, I was like, oh, man, like I haven't read these things in like a year. Right. Um, but <laughs> but some of that stuff just sticks with you. Right. Yeah. Like Young's work sticks with you. Like if you get it, you get it. Um, and, and I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking about it. I'm like, man, like, what am I going to talk about? Like, how do you how do you have discussions on, on journals? Right. Right. Um, if if you've had the experience that that Young experiences um it's it's probably easier to explain than you know you said you were going to go in over an hour i'm thinking we need to record for like eight hours right no kidding um, <laughs> yeah. because like this is one of those topics mm-hmm. um because that's why you don't see a whole lot of conversations about this in general because it's dense and it's hard to work your way through but it's a lot of fun to talk about and and listen to but it's just where do you start and how do you categorize it? And how do you even analyze it? Well, you know what it is? So again, like this takes place over 20 years, right? Mm-hmm. So impossible to explain 20 years of experience in, in an hour. Um, yeah. But, but, but not just that, like think about the, the level of understanding you have to have on so many different topics uh, in order to kind of make sense of what's going on, right? Um, it, it's kind of like, you know, the mystery religions, right? Mm. You can, you can tell somebody what something is, but for them to experience it and see it for themselves and, and live it as if it were their own experience is a completely different thing. 
Um, and, and when you get, you know, the, the thing about Young's black books is once you start reading it, you're, you're in that experience, right? Uh, you know, Joe, Joe would love this. I, I don't know if Joe has read the black books, but if he hasn't, he needs to. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. It, it's like, it's like living, breathing magic, right? Where you, it's not just like you're reading a good book and you're like in this world, right? And and making yourself a part of it. Uh, it's like you're experiencing this thing as young experiences, right? Because again, none of this is happening consciously for him, right? And one of the things he talks about a great deal about um, when he tries to analyze these experiences is how difficult it is for for people to uh, remove the conscious experience from the subconscious and how a lot of times people are so deeply afraid of going and doing any kind of work like shadow work is usually the term that's used um, any kind of work with the subconscious because it's not an everyday experience and and think about it you know this is over 100 years ago right so now here we are 100 years later we haven't progressed much uh, for the better uh, one could argue in terms of the things that Jung was seeing. Mm -hmm. uh, in fact, we've gotten much worse. We've gotten more distracted. Uh, we spend more time doing less meaningful things, right? And and that causes this like almost psychosis in people. Uh, you know, really it's probably a neurosis. So that this is one of the things that like Freud and Jung were arguing about is uh, kind of the cause of, of neurosis. Um, also a lot of penis talk. Uh, and, and, <laughs> yeah. and, and and there is a lot of penis talk in the black book too by the way um but 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 in terms of like the alchemical meaning of it right so there's right. a lot of talk of like the virgin and the phallus mm -hmm. um but uh you know i think the difference there being that freud saw this as like a, a literal physical manifestation of of innate trauma uh whereas jung saw it as kind of an expression of archetypes trying to come out into the light um and, and i think really maybe that's where the discussion is in in dealing with something like the black books is is the magical aspects of it spilling my flask like mark anthony cleopatra let's drink to the melody where we roam it's nothing like italy Captain Log, Bacardi, Rum Diary Intoxicated by the heresy Mean Hennessy, got me twisted I'm two blocks from Tiny The gin scar in my memories Like that gunshot room, I presume on my body The inevitability will have me confronting The shooter like Pablo or Gandhi The devil water nearly made a martyr But I'm happy to announce I'm alive, well and vibing Getting tanked like my name was Sherman So drunk that my liver's burning My child mother stays dressing alcohol be a quick suppressing, need a job like I need a blessing Improbable that I feel threatened When you're walking like Mel Gibson Shit, I'm just an ordinary sister Yo, I left the boy but came back a man The stoic poet could flow at the pace Sad for grams, cocaine and that tan Exchange hand to hand Cheese stale on my brain like some lame pack of fan I'm way past the tan, the plague blacker than saw Most F's in squad leave, baby black is a star After bar, straight wickedness Listen this, verbal imagery, phonetic chemistry for listeners even the deaf meaning listeners and visionists if you know what my mission is you know you can't imprison it's fundamental principles let's split the differences down the middle after you finish scribbling out your inferences and in 
vintages I do not register Black shit executioner in the form of your sentence of repentance sir. Forgiveness is off the table, yo, I'm able So it shall be written, so it shall be done I'm a model citizen, I'm a model citizen Writing novels, dreading my sins in between bottles I'm a model citizen, I'm a model citizen Writing novels, dreading my sins in between bottles Metaphors and synonyms, in a dem, dem, and dem Who Diablo, look within, his heart remains hollow I'm a model citizen Metal monkey on my back, scratch that Pedal junkie, push your tracks, level something Build it back on my sound wave Robot heart, beating fast, no bizarre Out of gas, I'm the rap of the mighty Make the ground break, son of the sun Cut a sand, trash the guts, I'm a hundred Hands, that's a lot of arms, that's what's up Slap the pastures, crash the faith Pass the buck, mass can take Like nothing's broken, nothing's bruck Rise above freedom, farmers, repeated Harmer, my bizarre is bizarre Like the far cyanide, take a chunk From the pie in the sky, goodnight, catch and awaken with the pirate eye Juggle the planets with my hands Jogging on the green heart Flying at your beanstalk Crashing the market Pesticide Fruits of your labor Eating by the audit I'm your favorite superhero Sleeping in a comic Too full of good vibes To listen to the static Negative, positive balance Is mathematics Life is the equation Freedom and equality Ignore the beef And keeping peace Is my policy Takes a bigger man To turn the other cheek I know it's true though These clowns might call A brother weak I say on that Cause they don't Know what's really good Bunch of no brain cowards ice grilling in the hood knowledge reigns supreme over nearly everybody knowledge yourself self save self from ugly i close my eyes and meditate on the stars levitate to mars and view the earth from afar try to realize a higher state of mind and get there breath of fresh air raise the tension and the stress there caress the buddha's breath and elevate it nightly stick to my guns and do the right thing like spike lee i'm a model citizen writing novels dreading my sins in between bottles i'm a model citizen i'm a model citizen writing novels dreading my sins in between bottles metaphors and synonyms in a dem dem and dem who diablo look within his heart remains hollow i'm a model citizen thousands of people are having paranormal experiences with ghosts demons shadow people dogmen bigfoot and more their stories need to be told and they are being told dark waters the renowned storyteller invites you to join at imdarkwaters.com. For just a few dollars a month, you can listen to some of the most hair-raising and compelling stories on the planet. You'll have access to real-life stories told by Dark Waters, thousands of hours of content. Their encounters are being told and told by the best at imdarkwaters.com. Listen to stories like The Rabbit Man, The Dog Man Encounter in Silas, Alabama, The Man with No Face, The Other Woman, a day ahead of the devil, dogman murder in Hurricane Ida, even a story of someone trying to kill a dogman, Louisiana water demon stories. Sign up today and become a member at imdarkwaters.com. That's imdarkwaters.com. The Natural Born Alchemist podcast is a podcast that covers topics like alchemy, shamanism, psychedelics, anarchism, and philosophy. Join Alex, that's me, and a multitude of guests on a quest to discover the nature of reality, of spirit, and of consciousness. Each episode will also introduce you to new music that you might never have heard before. You can find the podcast on most platforms. Simply search for Natural Born Alchemist or go directly to naturalbornalchemist.com. There you'll be able to find all the social media links as well. Freedom is in the mind. 
Musicians experience a lot of frustration with music marketing and promotion. They have no idea how to get their music heard, and they're spending hours sending emails, making phone calls, and hitting up their friends to promote them. With our industry-powered digital marketing platform, we can set up your media plan in minutes. Our team will automatically distribute your music across all the best channels, so you can focus on actually making the music. Submit your music today on our website at mymusicpromoter.com. That's mymusicpromoter.com. Listen, as we explore the mysteries of the universe, the unknown, high strangeness, consciousness, and our human potential, Lighting the Void is an eclectic program that strives to ignite the late night with stimulating conversations. Join us on The Fringe FM. Again, he, he was wrestling with the fact that you know, he's a scientist, but here he's playing with art, he's playing with magic, and he's playing with occult forces. And, and what does that mean, right? Especially as someone who you know, would have been raised a Christian, and I'm sure you know, a lot of people listening are. I was raised in church, right? My dad was a preacher. Um, a lot of things change when you begin seeing things in a different light. And, and sometimes you try to reconcile those things, and I think that goes to kind of the... the the Christian overtones of a lot of things, um, including like maybe taking some things verbatim and then like rephrasing them in in this new way of understanding the the connection between conscious and unconscious. Um, but but really, I think to Young, even though he never uh, explicitly outright says it in these books, and you know, I, I've I've heard him talk about some of these things in interviews. Um, so you can find some pretty good interviews with Young um from his older years obviously um where he he talks about some of these things and and just the the level of certainty uh in which he discusses some of these things i think is is incredible to see um because i think a lot of people uh including myself and you know we're kind of getting into something before the show um just have a, a hard time uh expressing in in words um, because it's not an everyday experience. And so when you um, kind of experience these things and, and try to bring them out and, and discuss them publicly, um, it, it's very tough to make sense of it. And, and you know, the, the, the main aspect of Jung's work is, is focusing on, on the inner before the outer, right? Yes. Um, and, and sometimes you can get into a place where you're like, if, if I say these things, and this is surely why his family didn't want any of these things to ever come out. Um, if, if I say these things, people are going to think I'm crazy. And think about someone like Young, who kind of already had somewhat a, of an established career at, in the psychology field, right? Creating basically the field with Freud, mm -hmm. um, at least in the modern sense, and, and having this existential crisis. Like, what do you do, right? It's just like, growing up in church and all of a sudden you have this crisis and you're like, oh, well, a lot of this is bullshit. Uh, what do I do? Right. Because you have to redefine your identity based on, on the things that you're seeing. Um, and if you can't kind of meld those two things together is when you have these things that they call like neurosis, right? So anxiety, depression, um, 
things like that. And and I think we see that a lot in in these kind of circles, in, in esoteric circles, um, among like the, the alternative crowd, you see this a lot because we're seeing and experiencing so many things that's kind of very difficult to reconcile, right? And so mm-hmm. you try to find people with with similar ideas as you and, and you try to toss things back and forth with others to see if you can uh, find an answer for yourself. Um, but, you know, you kind of realize ultimately none of that really makes any difference because you're only going to find the answer inside yourself. So um, that's that's something that Young really struggles with a lot. And and that's why I, I do recommend reading these things. Like, it's just, it's it's beautiful to see the process, um, not just in, in the ideas that he comes up with, but in like experiencing some sort of like shared pain, if you will. Um, I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's, it's tough to describe. It is. And um, it's, it's something that in ways that aren't too poking and prodding um, I've tried to ask guests about in general um, and, you know, just people's relationship to um, their own art and research and how these things have helped them. And, you know, the most recent uh, being Keats Ross talking about his haunt manual. Um, and that's definitely the inspiration behind Dive Manual, the book I wrote, uh, the first one. And uh, the, you know, not that any sort of process is ever really complete, but sort of the beginning of something, um, the beginning of a, of a, a process inward of individuation. And I think um, it's, uh, it's also worth noting you know, there's far more names. It, more often than not, if you look at someone, especially someone that has had a, a long established artistic or scholastic career, if you will, um, and uh, often the most existential ones, you'll find, you know, these like pivot points where people had this, you know, dark night of the soul, whether they yeah. be young or 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 middle age, sometimes old, but it's usually you know with with a little bit of vigor left in you that this comes. And um, I guess for Dante, um, it would be at the at the end of his life. Um, but you can see this this sort of existential quandary and this sort of almost chaos, magical finding your own self awareness through self awareness of your art. Uh, we can see that with Gautier's fascination and his rendition of Faust. Um, and uh what else there were some other names i had in mind uh but you know we can see this time and again and there's this um almost like a a spiritual cocoon where people have to go and incubate these ideas these radical ideas that they haven't been able to integrate into their lives yet um yet they're still a part of their experience and the only way you can seem to do that really is through the analog of art and and like mythology among other things and poetry um uh, yeah and like i mean especially some, in the classical sense of like the epic poems and whatnot so sometimes you have this um just kind of in- integrated in like a, a philosophical sense right so like the buddhists have like the pratika buddhas um that kind of uh, achieve enlightenment but they decide to just you know hang out and teach basically right um but then sometimes it's like deeply ingrained in a culture um and i think that's a little bit more fascinating to me. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know how it is now in, in modern India, it might be different, but traditionally, you know, you would, you would live your life, right? You would, you would grow up, you would get married, you have kids. 
Um, and then, you know, you get to a certain age where your, your worth to the society um, isn't in, in production, um, but in kind of being an elder, right? And so you go and you, you know, set up a hut in the woods and people come see you for advice or, you know, medicine or whatever, right? Um, the, the whole concept of the shaman, for example, uh, even though generally that would be, you know, one person uh, per village. Um, I, I find that a little more fascinating and maybe a little more, something a little more in, in, that, that young wants to, to approach in a way. Um, we're, we've kind of forgotten where we come from, right? We're so worried about, oh, I have to get up and do this today. And, you know, what am I going to do tomorrow and the day after? Um, we never take time to, to introspect uh, in retrospect, right? Look inside and look behind us to see, you know, what has changed. Not so much like focusing on what, what could have I done better uh, or, or what could have I done differently, but kind of taking a, a particular instance and, and really seeing how that impacts yourself and, and those around you. Um, you know, again, the, the importance of, of ritual, Right. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people have rituals, but they might be a little more, um, I don't know, less magic, more superstition in a way. Right. Like, uh, you know, you, you have football players or baseball players that like to do a particular dance or like enter right. into the stadium in a particular way. Um, like there, there is something to the ritual. Right. Um, Absolutely. And, and whether you you know, believe in a particular religion or not, the, the, the one thing that religion is usually pretty good at is the, the aspect of ritual and, and creating community. And, and that's something that Jung sees as lacking in, in a modern world. Um, I guess maybe kind of being an extension of the, the whole Nietzsche, you know, God is dead kind of thing, uh, where, where he doesn't necessarily mean like God is literally dead. Um, God is still out there. But that mankind's connection to uh, divinity and, and, you know, by divinity generally is meant uh, whatever is inside, right? The, the spark. Mm-hmm. Um, that That is, is what has been killed, right? Um, it exists out there. Um, it, it's never left. But uh, we've kind of just decided to put it by the wayside. And, and for Jung, the only way for us to reconcile uh, who we are as people is is to kind of find that again and you know that's that's like the the trope of of all tropes right every like deep esoteric uh form of thought has this idea of of the union of opposites Mm -hmm. and and jung kind of plays with it uh in some sense in in a, a little more literal way uh even though these are things that are happening in an imaginal realm right uh, again, not like imagination, like he's making things up, but to him and, and to me, you know, it's something that exists and, and is waiting to be tapped into. Um, and, and by tapping into that is, is how we can kind of move forward as, uh, as, as people and as, as a culture, as a society. Um, are there any particular notes of interest? Cause they, it's, it's sort of. I don't know. It's definitely meta to say the least, but, and it's also impressive um, how there's just, 
like the level of actual storytelling that's at work in uh, in Jung's journals as well, because he's investigating like the story within his own psyche, essentially. Um, so are there any noteworthy things that have really stuck with you um, that sort of like uh, scenes from Jung's inner mythology, if you will? Yeah, I really like this this whole discourse um, he's he's got with Salome. Um, again, playing with with this Christian mythology, right? In in his version of Salome, Salome is blind, um, so she she's unable to see um, like the connection between the the liminal and the subliminal um, until basically Young's beheaded and and she regains her sight, and and I think that whole story is just it's like almost the pinnacle of of what Jung is trying to to achieve um you know he goes through this kind of hero's journey and uh you know everyone knows the term the hero's journey i had to read the book in school right like i'm sure a lot of people have have read it that, that listen to this mm-hmm. um obviously the the hero's journey is not like uh exclusive to campbell right like he didn't make it up um he was just the person that put it into like a a, a literally like um, interpretive sense mm-hmm. uh, that that appealed to a wider audience, where I was like, oh yeah, like that's what this means, right? That's what that's there. Um, but it's not like a new thing, right? It didn't just like pop up when Campbell wrote it. Uh, it's in in all human mythology throughout history, um, and and you know, Jung kind of tries to assess what that means. Right? What is the hero's journey? And and you talked about Dante. Like Dante's Inferno is is the story of the hero's journey. It's the story of the Black Books. It's the story of the Odyssey. It's like this the epic story of all time, mm-hmm. right? Um, and it's not necessarily about you know buff hero uh, going out and slaying monsters in the world. Um, it, it it's literally a, a little interpretation of the alchemical process of trying to fight the dragon within right so what's the dragon the dragon's the shadow side um and so the hero has to slay the dragon uh in order to to save the virgin and and live happily ever after well you know that's that's a fun fairy tale but what does that mean right it's not about becoming a prince and saving the princess right uh it's about accepting the the urges and desires that you have inside you um and, and kind of learning to communicate with that right uh one of the the l- later episodes one of the last ones that i recorded uh for my podcast uh was somewhat to to this um this kind of story in that you know in, in order to really unite all aspects of yourself um whether you want to or not is to to kill to slay your monsters right mm-hmm. to to kill who you were at one point and uh kind of surface in a new way right become a, a new person right so you enter the underworld and uh and you come out the other side uh a completely different person you're you're reborn right and and sometimes it's like it's it's hard to to talk about these things in a way uh, they don't seem like, you know, hocus pocus, like a new agey kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, you and I both hate that kind of stuff. Yeah. But, uh, but, but really, I think there, there is something to it, right? 
um, the, the, the world is literal uh, magic, literal um, imaginal uh, expression of, of something beyond, right? And it's just the, the things that uh, our, our physical bodies have evolved to kind of uh, see as something that we need in order to survive. Um, yeah, our bodies yeah. are the, you know, the temples with which we pay homage to the cosmos. Absolutely, right? And so there's certain things that you feel um, don't really make an impact on your survival, and so you kind of avoid these things. Um, and for young, you shouldn't avoid them. If the reason that you have issues in your life, according to young, is because you avoid dealing with the the deep dark stuff that's inside, right? Um, there's a there's a really good quote in in one of the books, uh, and, and I can't remember which one. Um, but it's something to the effect of like, you can't be enlightened uh, by imagining figures of light. Uh, you have to like make the, the darkness conscious. Um, and, and I think that's so like deep and interesting and important uh, because a lot of times what a lot of people focus on is, is the light side of things, right? Like being good and doing good things and uh, helping humanity. And like, yes, all these things are important um but that's not how you become the hero right everybody does that so you're just like everybody else uh in order to become the hero you have to you have to learn that the dark side of yourself is just as important as as the lighter side um and and you know that's a harder thing to do because you know we've grown accustomed as a society to not accept any of the dark aspects of our humanity, right? And, and you talk a lot about serial killers and cults and things like that, um, which is why I love listening to your podcast, uh, because you keep it real, you know what I mean? And, and Thanks, yes, man. there's, yeah, no problem. You, know, you and I have slightly different views on, on evil, right? Um, <laughs> but, but, I, but I understand like where you come from, and I understand where a lot of people come from. Um, but but evil you is, have a much it, more like an even further kind of eastern interpretation than i do is that the easiest way to put it for the listeners i, I think that's fair yeah yeah i think that's fair um yeah i mean it, it, it's pretty straightforward i for me you can't have good without evil because then you wouldn't have anything to define good against right um and so by by erasing evil um you have no actual definition of good and that causes more psychological harm than uh, just wanting to be a good person. Um, and that maybe is kind of a tough pill to swallow for a lot of folks, again, because we're raised in, in a culture that wants everything to be good. Um, it, but that's just not the reality of things, right? Um, yeah, I guess uh, the difference between you and I is it, I externalize the concept a little more than you do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I yeah. try not to because to me there's no point in externalizing because right, it's an internal process anyway, right? So, right. Um, yeah, that that's the difference. But you know, like the the way that you view it is the way that I would say a large majority of people view it as well, right? You just you just feel more comfortable talking about it. Yeah, and you actually you just sparked a flash in my in my memory of some stuff I've been um, looking into recently, and I won't rabbit hole too far, but I think it. Um, contributes to the conversation pretty well. You're sort of talking about the inner process of interpreting 
um, like the uh, the existential quandaries around you, if you will. And I've been looking into this term ethnomethodology that I'd never heard before. Mm-hmm. Have you? Are you familiar with it? I am not. So I actually, funny enough, um, I came across this reading an interview um, done um, with Nathan Fielder, which is the comedian, a Canadian comedian. Some people are probably familiar with his name. He's done like Nathan for you and the rehearsal, but he's this uh, um, he's friends with Sasha Baron Cohen and uh, and sort of this performative take on comedy, whether you call it reality comedy or cringe comedy, like think what you will of Borat. Um, Sasha Baron Cohen, uh, Baron Cohen is uh, it's like a he went to like clown school. That guy went yeah, into yeah. the trenches of like <laughs> you really wanted to understand the theory and mechanisms of comedy. Uh, and, and he's like a very philosophical guy in general. And, and so in this interview, the Nathan Fielder does this um, like kitchen nightmares type thing where he goes into businesses for comedy central and he gives them these preposterous ideas to try and drum up business. Um, like just absolutely preposterous stuff. And the idea is he said in the interview, his mother says that what he does uh, if you want to philosophy, you know, you want to like dress it up the most is ethnomethodology. And it's this study of um, non, not, what's the best way to put it? Like sociology, as we understand it, has these set patterns and that human beings sort of adhere to these set patterns. And it's almost like, uh, you know, it's, the, it's a sort of clockwork model in a way, um, of understanding the psyche and ethnomethodology does the exact opposite. It's looking at, it's saying that common sense and the common understandings that we have um, are something that are a lot more on a case by case basis than most people understand. Mm. Um, and when you change one thing about that um, situation, like you get, you propose uh, to someone a very obscure business model. Like um, here's a good example. He convinces this uh, realtor in the LA area to start marketing herself as a ghost realtor, 100% free or ghost free homes. (laughs) 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 And he also, he convinces this psychic to post billboards saying, Maria Garcia, please call me. I had a vision about you because he looked it up and Maria Garcia was one of the most prominent female names in the Los Angeles area, mm-hmm. you know, so stuff like that. And like you change little things about that. And then you also become an awkward person or a, a cartoonish version of a human that challenges people's uh, views of the norm and their viewpoints on common sense. You get people acting in very different ways. And it's very telling about the things that we not only hold um we take for granted, but the things that we hold very dear about how we process our lives, the daily, the rituals and ceremonies of our lives, but not just that, the the metrics with which we measure our lives, like time being an interesting angle on this. Because time, obviously, there's an objective level to time that no one is really trying to deny, but the way a human being processes time is a purely subjective thing. And you look at people who are like isolated or like people who are, you know, doing time in prison, you have to learn to adapt and find new ways of processing new metrics with which you process time. Um, and, 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 and in a way, this is sort of the whole process we're talking about is not so much time specifically, but w- it's a radical, it's a, 
it's an existential radicalization of the self uh, and the individuation process where we we suddenly have to find new means of understanding these aspects of ourselves. And um, yeah, I find that fascinating um, uh, just because I've always been interested for one, not just in this sort of philosophy, but in that kind of humor as well, where you do something almost prankish, but in... You know, like you could say what you will about Borat. I actually rewatched it recently. <laughs> I, I love after, Borat. Yeah, it's great, man. Um, and you know what? It's um, <laughs> it's crazy, but you can't, you truly can't deny that uh, Sasha Baron Cohen had some very earnest, genuine political, like even just damn existential sentiments to be shared. Like if you take a cartoonishly racist, like you, you basically take a cartoonish version of what you know white uh shut in america thinks of um like a foreign reporter and you just give it to them you just give it mm -hmm. to them and then you see if they even question it and they don't most of them don't even and um um and then there's also you know the commentary on the anti-semitism um i mean very very artistically um and philosophically bold i mean the idea of creating an anti-semitic character a cohen being very jewish himself right to sort of um coax out to give people every op he at every turn with the borat character he gives people every single opportunity to realize that this can't possibly be real but they don't they just bite down the whole time and that's one of the craziest parts and that's sort of the psychological sociological part of comedy like that but just observations like that in general um and um i think it's really wild you know jung the reason the work is so seminal um and i think this kind of strikes to like the heart of what alchemy is is we're trying to find the metrics with with which to reconcile the opposites right yeah yeah for sure for sure so jung calls this the uh what's the what's the german hang on it's uh fergedenken i think it is or ferdenken uh, forethought is usually like the translation for this um but but forethought is like a completely different thing like forethought is um almost like premonition in a way i guess but but that's not what young sees as forethought for 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 young it's kind of like the um, it's like the gnostic uh pronoia right the first thought um for for like uh, a more modern audience it'd be something more akin to like mindfulness um where you you're in this like state of sight where like your blinders are taken off right that's kind of what forethought is you're you're expanding your your point of view from this like focus thing that's in front of you to just like everything around you right, right 360. Right. Mm -hmm. um and i think that the I think that's just like a whole different experience when you when you can see things this way, um, especially if you can do it by removing that conscious element. Right. Um, yeah. And, and, and I think like Sesha Baron Cohen does this really well. I don't know if you like watch this really old stuff, um, but I used to love the Ali G show. Yeah, I've uh, seen bits. I really yeah, that's one of those bits? on my list where I really feel like I need to go and watch the whole thing. Yeah, they uh, they like redid like a later season that it was fine but it wasn't as good like the original like skits were good where it was like this like white british rapper basically <laughs> yeah. um that would interview politicians 
And again, like, it's obviously a farce. Um, but like, people don't know that, right? Because like, that's the that's the world that we live in, right? Like everyone is a character. Um, and so you just don't know who's like, um, uh, what, what's the, the term in video games, the, the NPC, non-playable character, <laughs> right. right? Like you don't know who's an NPC and who's a real person anymore. So you just assume that everyone's a real person, I guess, right? Um, but, but, you know, that's kind of not how it is, right? Um, you know, you can, you can go into this little like uh, Gnostic matrix thing. Um, that, that's kind of the similar idea where like you know people some people are awake and that they know what's happening and some people are just living their life with their blinders on um w without forethought right but but young wants to see a society where everyone has forethought um uh, where, where everyone has this like connection to to the divine spark um and 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 that can kind of you know like literally spell out the world right um by by using magic just not in that terminology because again young's a scientist right so he's got a hard time saying hey uh we're we're doing real magic here folks uh, because that's that's not going to work for for established acad academia uh and, and really for a lot of people that were kind of you know really into this work because it was revolutionary uh, the the kind of things that uh, that early psychology was was figuring out about people, um, of course, it, it like you know it can go in a very weird direction, um, and we, we can talk about that at some other time. Uh, the, the the crazy shit that happens as a result of Freud's work, for example, um, the kind of things that uh, you know as a society we allowed to happen to others mm, right, um, right. because of of these ideas. And, and, you know, that's true of anything, right? Like even in Nazi Germany, some of those ideas, uh, they, they didn't come from this sense of like uh, anti-Semitism, um, but they just kind of got turned and twisted into that kind of thing. And, and that's just like the general aspect of magic, dude, right? Because like nobody knows what magic is. Um, they just want to do it because they, they kind of want that sense of power. And that's just, it's really dangerous uh, mm -hmm. to, to play with that kind of thing. Um, you can you can go into some really dark places, and and if you don't have the, the the work put in to to gain some understanding of what it is that you're experiencing, uh, you're gonna lose your freaking mind, dude. You you're lose your up. mind. Yeah, there's some interesting um, uh, lectures that Manly P. Hall gives. You can find them on YouTube. It's like I believe it's a four part series on demonology, um, and there's one. I think he might it's 20th century demonology and there's it's uh like psychic ghosts and um um I'll I'll have to put him in the show notes because uh he goes into a bit like while he's working his way into the meat of the lecture where he's talking about um because he's just been known and mainly P Hall by the way is another name I was um uh, trying to think of to bring up another person that went through a very alchemical shut-in sort of process um and mm. emerged something something very different um so he working into the meat of the lecture he talks about since he was you know just such a well-rounded philosophical guy he founded this uh the philosophical research society and things he's obviously a known person to come to uh amongst his circle just and and even just people far and wide actually so in some ways he sort of became 
um, an investigator and he would go and look into people with spiritual maladies and not necessarily try to remedy them, but definitely in some cases try to diagnose and help people find way, you know, avenues to go down. And he talks about people just going too far down this sort of Crowley-ish left-hand path rabbit hole, you know, I'm about the middle path and like the left-hand path being sort of the endless rabbit hole inward and the right-hand path being just the, uh, the constant um, engulfing the being engulfed in the, um, the collective um, and going too far down that, that inner rabbit hole sort of begins to just fracture your psyche. Um, and, and you start to, in the easiest psychological way, you just start to devolve and become more even animalistic where he talks about, you know, grown men just in states of psychosis, men who were, you know, like disciplined esotericists that he knew. Um, and, um, you know, and obviously sometimes just random people that came to him, but like people just losing their minds and like barking like dogs, sort of possession type stuff. And, um, I always found that really fascinating because, you know, you can hear some fire and brimstone shit at any, you know, uh, your corner store church. But uh, when you talk, when you hear people um, who are scholastic and not trying to be wooey talk about people just genuinely losing their minds because of this and then giving warnings saying don't dabble lightly, you know, it really makes you think twice. No. And, and listen, um, I've often beat around the bush in a lot of things, right? Because, you know, when, when I was doing regular episodes, I, I try to keep things positive. Um, but but there is absolutely something to that, dude. Um, I mean, I, I got to a point where I, I literally lost everything, right? Like, I, I my wife and I almost got divorced. Like, um, I was essentially homeless for, like, a couple weeks. Um, I, I had lost my job. Like, I don't have anything, right? Um, and it was like... I've been there in different yeah, ways. It, it, it's like when you're at that very bottom or like you don't think there's any more bottom to go to um, is when you kind of start seeing things in a different way. Right. And yeah, uh, that's the point is when you reach that point, that's, that's the point of um, where we need to open ourselves up to, uh, you know, the, the grace of the cosmos and, and, yeah. and have that because grace, in my opinion, is you know there's a definition but i think like if you want to get the media existentialism the esotericism of it all it's that it's that sense of reverence with the humility to boot right and um absolutely and um if you that's that's the linchpin is once you hit that bottom that is your that is the closest you might have ever been to a, a true state of grace um if 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 it if you are able to just focus on it and see what the moment has to offer. Um, and like, man, there's been moments in my life where I've been just at the bottom and um, I've had, you know, just like realizations about myself that were not um, to, uh, just, they're just detrimental, you know, realizing things about yourself that you wish you didn't have or things that have, you know, caused you pain and others pain. And, and just, you know, having a moment of release where all of a sudden you finally are able to just sort of grasp it and you're not able to take away, you know, the things that you did because of those mind states, but you're, 
by fully allowing yourself to understand the ways that you've done wrong, it's it's like the truest way and perhaps the only way to really correct it. You know, in that Buddhist sense, if you have to uproot, you have to get to the literal roots of the weed and uproot it psychologically. You can't just chop it off. And um, yeah, I uh, I don't know. It's uh, it, it it's not an easy thing to do, but as long as you're doing it in the name of altruism, you know, the betterment of yourself for yourself and for others, um, then you shouldn't be afraid. The thing is, if you're if you're looking, if you're trying to seek power, and you you know you're just kind of you have hedonism as a goal. That's the real because because there's no end to that. That is the bottomless pit. That's the that's the problem is that you'll never find an end to that. Um, and I don't know. I guess you, it's not like you find an end to anything one way or the other. But there's something that brings us closer to uh, a state of contentment and something that brings us further like when in doubt just look at the observations look at the empiricism of it all you know one thing even crowley the man who was like the master of the left-handed path um you know didn't it didn't it didn't work out too well for him in the end i was gonna say i never understood so listen if you're a, a crowley fan like I, I, lo- I love reading about crowley i love learning about crowley and and seeing the things that he did and reading about him um, but if you're like a, a Crowley follow, follower, I just I don't get it, right? Because yeah. like all his experiments failed, right? And and <laughs> he and he was no better for it in the end either, right? It's not like he found some secret um, and, and was able to like achieve his I- inner peace, right? Um, or or whatever you feel it, you, you you know makes you successful like achieve immortality or you know become super rich or whatever um like the dude was from a wealthy family right so he had money yeah. right so he can do whatever he wants because he's got a trust fund okay again if you're a curly fan my apologies but that's the way it is um so he could do whatever he wanted whenever he wanted and so what does he do he plays with occult forces um how well did that turn out for him right <laughs> like maybe he manifested uh the loch ness monster like that's about it right? like, <laughs> what, what else right what else you, you look at all these guys right um that that follow crowley like uh like parsons right like parsons is super interesting like i find parsons way more interesting than crowley mm-hmm. um but like where did that lead him nowhere right um you look at Amen, guys like yeah. uh, uh l ron hubbard right uh followed crowley and then uh you know pissed off and went his own way uh and, and found the scientology well like where did that get him right like yeah the dude made a ton of money but but then what right like what's he doing now yeah i mean i I don't know because he's not around right he's dead but like what what's he what for what right aside from the 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 small mass that he was able to brainwash i mean he was just known as a a charlatan and basically a douchebag like today so that's really that's that's you know at best what you get from a path like that and at worst you you know crash and burn literally in one way or yeah, another for sure well you know and there's there's a there's an alchemical saying and i can't remember who who it is or the exact quote um but you know it's something like um like when your heart is still um it turns from mercury to silver something like that right hmm. and and that's such a like simple truth Right. Like you don't need to be like in, in an alchemical like mastermind. Right. Or like some super wizard 
to understand that, right? Like most people know what mercury is. Most people know what silver is, right? Maybe more people know what silver is than mercury. Um, but like you can understand the basic idea of it, mm-hmm. right? Um, like mercury is one of these things where like it, it can't take a shape, right? It's just a, at room temperature, it's a liquid. It's a metal, but it's a liquid. So it's pretty to look at. Um, but like it's so simple, right? Like when your heart is still, it turns mercury into silver, right? Because both both metals look very similar. They're both pretty shiny silver things. Um, but like it's it's not about the the physical manifestation of it. Is kind of what lies beneath the surface, right? And and beneath the surface is is this more precious metal in silver. Um, and I think that's why the, the metaphor works so well. Like, no one cares about mercury, right? Like, it's, it's toxic. Like, what do you do with it? You put it in thermometers. Like, who cares? Right. Right. But silver, like, you make jewelry. Like, you know, it's used in, in electronics. Like, there's a lot of uses for it. Um, and, and therefore, it's more valuable. So, so what do you want your personal being to be? Do you want to be this piece of crap metal? Uh, I mean, maybe you can make uh, anti-grav devices. But, like, we haven't figured that out yet, right? Um, <laughs> That's that's the conspiracy, but uh, hmm. but but we know about silver, right? So is isn't that what we should aim to achieve, right? And and that's what Young wants to do too. Young doesn't want to be in this existential crisis. None of us do, right? But you know, when you start seeing things in in a particular way, um, whether like the way that you view them is actually correct or not is irrelevant, right? Um, and I'm not going to talk about, you know, about anyone's beliefs, but like, you know, if you, if you think that like, what's that, what's that do that talks to like the Virgin Mary in the woods with like UFOs? Um, like if you think that like Mary and Jesus come to this guy, cool. Like that's your manifestation of it, right? Like more power to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, you understand that there's something more, right? Like to me, that's, that's what's more interesting. Um, yeah. That's the metric with which they are gauging their existence at the moment. Yeah, sure. Sure. Um, which is fine because then you, you see that there's more to things around you than the things around you, right? Um, the, the things around you are, are made of things that you have no idea how they work. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and, and that's just kind of the magic of it. Like who cares how it works, right? It just works. So let's find out how to make it make sense in, in, in the way that we live our reality. Right, because you still got to get up in the morning, and you know, uh, what's what's the Buddhist thing? Uh, see, uh, before enlightenment, chop wood, carry water. After enlightenment, chop wood, carry water. Same thing, dude. Amen. Right, like it doesn't matter, like how enlightened or you know, super wizard you are. Uh, you still got to go to the bathroom, right? Everyone's got a toilet. Well, maybe not everyone. Everyone's got a toilet. No, that's a toilet. That's a whole conversation. The holographic universe and. And shit like that. I remember reading yeah. about um those sentiments. I mean, shit, man. It, it, with Rainbow Body and the Buddhists and stuff, there's there's whole um there might be some uh, potential level to just sort of almost transcending the physical while you are still physical. Um, I wouldn't trust anyone that says that they're doing that, though. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. You got to be real careful because there's a lot of people just trying to make money and sell books, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. But like, you can you can do this wherever, right? Like the Taoists have this saying: 
Um, well, they're like, you know, if you really want to find the Tao, you can find the Tao anywhere. You can find the Tao in the city. You can find the Tao in the woods. You can find the Tao being a king or a pauper. Like, it doesn't matter, right? Um, the work is easy. The secret is simple. And if anyone told you about it, you would just laugh, right? And I think that's the problem. Like, all yeah. this stuff is so simple, right? We just make it overcomplicated. And and when we find, like, this, the answer where you're like, aha, all of a sudden you're like, nope, that can't be it. That's too fucking easy, right? And so we try to like convolute our, our daily lives with more and more things um, to kind of get some some extra meaning. But the thing is like, there's no meaning to any of it. None of it fucking matters, right? Um, and, and when you start to realize, you're just like, haha, like there it is. There's the secret. Yeah, and you know, to some points uh, um, on Jung's, sort of uh personality and his legacy um and why it's so relevant um i wanted to just bring up sort of like his his mindset not just the subject matter and the experiences he had but in my mind it it always added a level of uh i admire jung all the more um for being so scholastic um while he was mm -hmm. alive uh, because yeah. I think um, he understood the the significance that his work had. That he was one of the only people, um, certainly on the scale and uh, with and with the precision that he had, he was one of the only people doing this. Um, and he knew that going too far into some sort of, even if he towed the line um, adequately, if he went too far in one direction, he would just simply become fodder because he was ex extreme uh too extreme and he didn't want to not only do that disservice to his own legacy but um i think he found especially the further he got into his career that this was really resonating with people and that this was becoming one of the uh several foundational schools of psychology and he said this needs to this I I can't undermine this. I need to let this exist as it is. And then, um, towards the end of his life, the mindset as as it does, I would imagine, sort of grows on you. Like, well, maybe I don't need to take everything uh, with me to the grave. And maybe now that my career is over, I can talk about some of these things a little more, which is what he did. And then, you know, allowing the final pieces of sort of his mystical per persona to come out after his death. Um, I think, I think it just really speaks to the fact that you, if nothing else, you cannot say that Jung didn't do everything in his power to make sure that his, um, his, what he stood for and represented was not abused. You get what I'm right, saying? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, again, like this goes back to this like collective altruism thing that he he kind of wanted to work through this methodology. Um, you know, he had this this concept of like a new religion. And and for some, it's like a, a reworked, simplified Christianity because of all the Christian imagery in, in, in the books. Um, I don't think that's it at all. It's kind of more of like a um like a more holistic, like spiritual and in, in spiritual in quotes, um, to get rid mm -hmm. of the the, the connotations there, um, but like a, a more connected humanity, right? Um, again, going back to the shadow work, like that's what he wanted. And so I, I think 
part of the reason for for these things not coming out is like yeah the family was worried about it um but like maybe young didn't want it now at the same time because he didn't see people at that time as maybe being ready for all this stuff right um you get you hear people talk a lot about like the great awakening this and the other um that's not like a one-time event right like right this is the problem it's not like all of a sudden everyone's awake and enlightened and and that fixes the world's problems um there's no like savior coming to save everybody right like you need to become your own savior um you you fix your own shit you fix the problems in your house and and that's how problems go away um not by not by babysitting other people and and you know demanding uh that they change their mind into your point of view uh that's kind of one of the issues that he had with freud and why they ended up you know growing apart um is that freud was just kind of very set in his ways and and this very like materialistic uh viewpoint of, of psychology uh whereas young for him it was something completely different something you know almost unexplainable that's why it took 20 years to to work through these black books right um and you know because he he wanted to help bring about this like new religion um he wasn't worried about the stuff coming out when he was around right like maybe there was a little bit of fear matter of fact I, i'm pretty sure there was some fear um, there's some like really interesting anecdotal tales um, of like black book uh, events kind of um, correlating to certain things in his life, right? Um, so like when his youngest daughter kind of leaves the house, he's like starts doing all this like ghost conjuring um, mm. because he's basically, it, it's almost like doing a ritual of protection, right? Um, where like he knows the world is a messed up place and there's like bad people that can hurt my kids. So how do I deal with that? And and instead of like being an overprotective parent and like making his kids stay at home, he like dives into these like ghost stories and and deals with like demons and, and evil spirits um, and, and tries to like befriend them and learn from them um, in order to like get over like the real ghosts, right? Um, where he can be like okay with his kids leaving his house and being under his protection and going out and making their own lives, right? Because there's monsters out there, right? So instead of being overprotective, what does a parent do? The parent fights those monsters within the imaginal realm, right? And so they can kind of remove that that neurosis, the the, the trauma that um, they feel for themselves because maybe they live through it, right? Maybe when they left their parents house they had these traumatic experiences um and and obviously like as a parent you don't want your kids to live through that uh, but again like he recognizes that that's not their battle right like that's in his mind that's not in their mind and so that's a monster he has to slay not his kids um and i, I think like that kind of thing is is what kind of encompasses this new religion again in quotes um where, where we can find a way to get rid of all our own personal fears uh, and, and not dictate them on somebody else, right? Not preach them onto somebody else. We as people should be allowed to determine for ourselves. Yeah, right? I'm very and, libertarian and that, in that sense, for sure. I'm extremely libertarian, right? So for me, like, it's just let everyone do what they're gonna do. Yes. Sense, right? Um, 
do what thou shalt right isn't that what uh your boy crowley said <laughs> uh do what thou wilt yeah do what thou wilt yeah there you go maybe um, he was a libertarian yeah i mean yeah um it, i'm sure that there are some curly adherents that would um that uh that would hate to hear that but i mean you could, <laughs> you could probably make some parallels um but i yeah um uh i think to build on what you just said there as we start to round home plate with our conversation a little bit. Um, the reason that Jung is so important um, among other reasons we've discussed is he wasn't saying I have special access or special information. Check mm -hmm. out this information. He It, it is a, a map of his inner experience to say, and he gives these, these disclaimers as well, pretty, uh, explicitly saying like, this is not a roadmap for you, but by reading about my journeys, you can potentially find the metrics with which to gauge your journey. And they'll be similar because we're dealing with the same human experience. We're dealing with the same archetypes, but we all have different access, you know, readily available access to those archetypes and different relationships. And the path will be slightly different. So um, Jung sort of built in as a failsafe um, for anyone that really cares to truly understand it. Like, you cannot take this as gospel because this isn't explicitly gospel. This is if, um, the new religion in quotations, meaning this is like the, you know, it's the path of individuation. This is not a, um, a, a it's self mythology. It's not a religion of the self so that this is an issue for me too, is people are all like, you know, in esotericism, you find people with a preoccupation with us being our own gods. And mm -hmm. I think that that is, um, while I get it and I, you know, if you, un if, if you have that couched in your brain the right way, it's not really an issue. I, it, to me, it just seems so demiurgic and so egoic. Like if we are our own gods, I guess it really depends on how you interpret the definition of God is what it really boils down to, but sure. that can become very problematic. Um, and um, I think instead the goal is sort of, you know, in that Buddhist state, you know, we're getting closer to, to that ultimate oneness. And, uh, and Jung did not want to um, yeah, he, he, he didn't want uh, the, the semantics to become the gospel. He wanted the, the practice and the, the tenacity and you know the if anything the methodology the to yeah, be the yeah. points well and that's that's how it always starts right like you know you you get uh, a prophet right somebody comes in and, and starts saying certain things and and people take it for their word right um they take it as as a literal thing uh this is what they said and you know in three days that this guy's going to come back to life Right. right. Um, but 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 that's not that's not what everlast life everlasting is. Right. That's not um, that that wasn't the point of of a figure like the Christ. Right. Like Christ, when Christ died, he had to go down the hill and and, and fight demons, basically. Um, and, and in essence, becomes the Antichrist as a result. Right. And the Antichrist isn't like an evil figure. Um, it's just the literal thing. Antichrist, the opposite of a Christ, um, because in order for for you know the hero to achieve this enlightened state um they have to unite the good and the evil to to be able to understand the fullness of 
as the Gnostics say, the pleroma, right? Like all, all of God. Uh, and that, that's the only way to do it. And I think, I think Jung was doing the same thing, man. You mm-hmm. know, he, he, he sees the, the failings of people and, and the dangers of, of following rhetoric and ideology. Um, and so, you know, he just kind of works it through himself uh, to make himself better in the hopes that as people read his work, they kind of follow a similar path in, in attaining their own individuation. Yeah. Amen to that, man. Um, and um, I think as a, as a little cherry on top, um, it's, it's good if you haven't picked up by now, like don't, this is, this is sort of apex material in terms of you can, especially if you feel like it, you can certainly just read this like with a cold start, just right out the gate, but you're certainly not going to understand it all. And even as you, you know, immerse yourself more in symbolism and esoteric study in these things, you're not going to understand it all. It's just one of those things that was, you know, like you said, Martin, this was like 20 years of time and, and even more once you count the editing and all the paintings and things like that and the calligraphy and, um, this was a life's work and these things that is why it's daunting and why it's so dense. But uh, so take it, respect the material, but also don't be intimidated because it's sort of, it's the layers of the onion. You know, it's one of those things where every time you read it, you get a little bit more, you have a slightly different perspective and that's just sort of the beauty of it. Um, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think if you, if you really want to appreciate it beyond just like, how beautiful it is um go read the red book and then once you have the red book under your belt then uh dive into the black books well said well said um um yeah and you know the the things that you talked about in the end there um i know jung had a fascination with trying to understand yahweh as the uh, Mm -hmm. antinomy that he is presented as sort of the embodiment of opposites uh, of um which is a, a, a simple definition to put across, but flushing that out uh, and like the existential implications of that is pretty, uh, pretty daunting. And we've kind of had those conversations before in some ways. So we'll just leave that as kind of a tie in there. But um, yeah, yeah, sure. Um, would you have anything as uh, as final comments? Um, um, because you know, since I kind of brought it up, I do want to hear what you have to say. What do you think about God? Just as, you know, cherry on top for people. We've talked about spirituality and the investigation and the pursuit of divinity. So what do you think about quote unquote God? And especially in relation to Jung's perspectives on God. Oh, interesting. Okay. Um, because what are my thoughts on God? It, you know, it's funny. The audience will I, uh, will understand. You know, so, so we are, we're not trying to get on a pulpit here. Yeah, yeah, no, sure, sure, sure. Um, it, it's funny that you say that because, like, I, I I kind of felt the question coming, and then when you said the words, I smiled <laughs> um, because uh, you know I, I, I've had experiences in my life, um, and I keep a lot of that most you know the details private, um, but but because of those experiences. Uh, you know, and, and this is now, what, three years later? Um, and this is why I smiled. Like, I, I got to a place in my life where I, I knew absolutely for sure that um, God exists. Um, and, and three years later, as you ask me this question, I smile because I don't have to think about it. Like, I still feel the same way. 
Um, and it's not one of these things where like, you know, I have to go to church every Sunday or Saturday or when, you know, whenever people go to church. Um, I, I don't have to do prayers or, you know, sing my hallelujahs or whatever it is. Um, I'm, I'm just content in the state that I'm in because um, I, I'm content with my connection with what I feel is God. Um, and, and I hope folks listening are able to, if you haven't already, one day experience uh, what that is. Um, I'm getting a little teary-eyed just even talking about it. But uh, it, it's, a, it's a beautiful experience uh, if, if you're able to, to achieve it. Um, and again, just like you mentioned before, this is not like a, uh, an advertisement for anything, right? Like I'm not selling a book. Like I'm not even doing the podcast right now, so I don't even care if you go listen. Wait, um, Martin, aren't you um, about to release My Conversations <laughs> with God, the, uh, <laughs> the official autobiography of Martin Ferretti? I am not. I am no? not. I don't. Okay. I don't uh, no, and I don't. I don't go around, uh, you know, preaching uh, my my experience with God either. Because that's no, a personal no thing. coffee mugs with like your face on one side and like a no. scripture on the other or anything. No, ab- absolutely not. The, the Tao of Martin. No, none of that. Um, that's just that's just from my personal experience. And, and no, beautifully put, man. And yeah. um, um, I appreciate every bit of um, um, you know, yourself that you have been able to share with us. And I completely agree. Like, amen to that. Um, however you want to slice the pie, there's definitely some sort of cosmic divinity, however you want to put it. Um, um, and I, um, don't, I don't doubt it at all. Um, I, and, and, and while it can't be articulated and that's the whole point and those who are, do try to fully articulate it, well, there's nothing wrong with trying, but once you say that, you know, uh, and you're fully articulating it. Um, that's sort of like the beginning of the end in terms of um, transparency and truthfulness. But you know, sort of, the, I, I do think so much of it lies in grace and um, and understanding the sort of dual nature of grace. Yeah, and you know, and and before we started talking, you asked me like, "What's up with the podcast? Are you coming back?" And like, this is the reason that I'm not doing the podcast right now um, because I, I'm I'm so certain in what I just said uh, that. I don't want it to come off as like a, a preachy thing, right? So um, in order to not do that, um, I'm just content in, in experiencing it. Um, so there's the the answer to your question two hours later. Yeah, well, beautifully put. And um, and, I, <laughs> and I do think that that echoes uh, Jung's sentiments himself. Um, and, and, and dare I say that I think that when you go about the process correctly, you come to these sorts of states of mind. Um, and, um, and, and, and I also think that there's something uh, as the last thing I'll say, um, I think there's something beautiful in sharing your experiences with other people. Um, and I think that some of those experiences, or at least some of the contexts should be shared, but that doesn't mean everything should be shared. And I do think in some sense, some things are meant to be personal. Um, so, uh, and that's kind of part of it too. And, um, it's sort of that, like, um, you know, that uh that like prophetic like burning bush type allegory where when you have certain epiphanies existential epiphanies spiritual awakenings if you will by their definition um not everyone is going to understand it so shoving that down people's throats is going to be ineffective and um and 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 just not get you anywhere it's also not going to help you understand it any better so um, yeah, you know, your your whole life you're like searching for the ox, right? That's that's the Buddhist story. Uh, your whole life you're searching for the ox, and then you find the ox, and you go hunt for the ox, 
and then all of a sudden you realize there is no ox and huh. uh you're all right <laughs> amen man well martin ferretti of the alchemical mind uh thank you so much for joining me you are amen. a brother from another mother and i look forward to our next conversation anytime man hey we should do a magic spell all listeners should go and give this podcast a five-star review <laughs> yes um, yeah. I, dude, I, so so I, I got to bring this up real quick. I know we want to wrap up, uh, but I was listening to your episode where you finally said, hey, let's get some reviews going. Uh, <laughs> and I thought it was so fun. Like the whole time I'm like, oh, my God, Anthony's doing a magic spell. Um, yeah, I, I just thought it was funny. Because, you know, <laughs> yeah, you know, buddy, you, you, you know, you're, how giving, you're giving five stars, right? So I'm thinking like the whole alchemical thing, you know, the five elements and, <laughs> and the star as being the shape of the, the Adamu, right? The cosmic man. Um, and, 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 you know, the, the orbit of Venus is shaped in, in this star symbol, uh, you're doing five stars, right? So you're, you're wearing the pentacle on your neck, right? I'm like, oh man, this is like perfect. So go give, give, give Anthony five pentacles around his neck, please. Yes, uh, please. And thank you very much. And actually some of you went ahead and did that when I brought it up in, um, the, the last couple episodes. So shout out and salute to those of you out there. Martin, thanks again for coming on, man. Happy holiday season to everyone listening. Go check out divemind.net, the Alchemical Mind podcast, and uh, dive into Jung's Red Book, and then eventually the Black Books. Uh, we both encourage it. Um, all right, peace, everybody. Thanks for listening. Y'all take care. Falling on a deaf year, dialing, calling down tones, no rest here. Time brings you in a standing, flourish your outer planning, ages wise, courage, dead fear. Raise the blind curtains, find certain stress clear, maintain through stress here. In the mind, lace collar bind, locked in brain cells, I paint tail, paint heaven, spray can, base yelling, open hands, empty to the eyes, face, empty hand is full of thy face. Let energies move like nature did, fire in the sky, you can taste the wind, hanging in, hanging off of dead coins and change. Noise through veins, core of the sun strums the rays. I spit my hunger pains, still on the plantation with a wick to blaze. Water can't slide in the fire that's raised in a bunker chained. This out of sanity, omit vicious insanity. I'm neither receive my word like a believer. Like a believer. I've been on my grind for eons, right? Way before your sleepless cities and your neon nights. I was beyond life within the ether. Then I brought you peons light and lit the world Inspire visions beyond sight My third eye, trace the star maps I'll be home soon Drop shrooms, lace a tune with the man in the moon Beyond the consciousness, panic consume Panic ensues when my words prove The legends of Atlantis was true I see devils, make it rain and raise the sea levels Hundred feet of water, flood the streets Where the beast heckles, peace settles Never last, heaven we never have This life and end this struggle War within the better half Don't try to run, I'm a Sniper bullet wrapped inside a drum When you nod your head, you're dead Your soul will burn inside the sun Forever curves to be pathetic Never drop a clever verse Never find the words to say Walk the earth on endless search Your wordplay worthless Your life has no purpose Beneath the surface The real art defeat the serpents Escape the glow Ignite all mics and burn the fat away Stay killing all the week off From Saturday to Saturday